0: Hello everybody and welcome back to WVFI and welcome back to the fourth semester of Five for Fighting Irish here on WVFI, the official student radio station of the University of Notre Dame. For anyone who's just tuning in for the first time, welcome. My name is Andrew McGinnis. I'm a sophomore from Haddonfield, New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia, and I am a huge hockey fan, love the sport, NHL and college as well, and so the last three semesters have had a great time here talking about the NHL and also some Notre Dame hockey as well. It's crazy to think about that. The first time I started this show, we were still in the middle of the second round of the bubble playoffs back in 2020. And now here we are about halfway through the 2021-2022 regular season. In another world, we'd be getting ready for the Olympics right now. Unfortunately, of course, that isn't the case with, uh, obviously, COVID concerns keeping NHL players uh, out of the Olympics for the second straight um Not year, but second straight tournament. Of course, they didn't go in 2018 due to more financial issues, so NHL players unfortunately not going to the Olympics uh, once again this year, but there's still plenty to talk about in the hockey world, Uh, and we've been doing that each of the last three semesters. It's been a great time uh, doing this show, and I'm happy to be back for a fourth semester really to go through all the way to the end of the semester. So we'll have the rest of the NHL regular season, probably get a chance to preview playoff matchups and also cover the end of Notre Dame's regular season in terms of hockey. And obviously, of course, Big Ten playoffs. And then, of course, hopefully the NCAA tournament. It looks like the Irish are on that type of trajectory this year. They've had a pretty solid start to their season as well. Um, I definitely hope to talk more about Notre Dame hockey than I have in previous semesters. It's always been kind of weird. It's obviously, the first semester, I don't think there was any hockey Um, maybe there was like one game before we all left because obviously we left at Thanksgiving which is not usually what we do and then we came back and the season was almost over in February and the team wasn't that exciting last year and then I talked about it a little bit in the fall but obviously the season was just getting started so trying to get a gauge on the team wasn't that easy but now the Irish have of course gotten a good chunk of their season out of the way. And it looks like we have a pretty darn good team this year. And so it's nice that fans are able to be back in Compton Family Ace Arena. I'm sure plenty of you will be going to the games either on Friday or and Saturday. Big matchup this weekend for the Irish against uh, Minnesota. In fact, you can hear Friday's game on WVFI. I will be on the call uh, for that game as well. So looking forward to that and just happy to be back on this show and getting some great opportunity to talk about hockey um, usually, I try to go around the entire NHL a decent amount. So, if you're, regardless of what team you're a fan of, whether you're a fan of Anaheim or Winnipeg or anyone in between, um, uh, I will have you covered at some point during this show uh, over the next couple weeks. Uh, but let's get started this week by doing something I haven't actually never done before, and something I figured I would eventually get to. At one point on this show, um, and I knew there were two possible ways it could come about. And unfortunately, it is coming about in honestly worse fashion than I think I ever could have imagined in my worst nightmares. Um, like I said in my introduction, I am from New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. So it shouldn't take uh, much to guess what NHL team that I cheer for. <sighs> yeah, it's it's been a long season for the Philadelphia Flyers. And so, usually, like I said, um, like I said, I usually talk about just about every team. Usually, I'll generally go through the big stories in hockey uh, for the NHL, maybe talk about what Notre Dame is doing, how they played the previous weekend, give a little preview for their next game. Uh, but for this first episode of this semester, and I just also mentioned that sometimes we do have guests on the show, we've had uh, former or current Flyers broadcasters. Uh, Jim Jackson and uh, Steve Coates on the show. We've had former NHL player uh, Danny Briere on the show as well, uh, who of course was in the running for the Montreal Canadiens GM sweepstakes and is still a part of the main Mariners of the ECHL, which is owned by Comcast, which owns the Flyers. So I know a big uh, thing that was going around Twitter was that the Flyers didn't want to lose Briere to Montreal because they think really highly of him. And he was certainly a great guest to have on the show. I could definitely tell um, just from looking at his resume in terms of what he's done since retiring, and also just hearing him talk about all the work he's done with the May Mariners, the ECHL, that he is going to be a tremendous uh, presence in a front office somewhere, uh, whether that's in Philadelphia or if he goes to Montreal at some point or anywhere else, whether it's his GM, AGM, whatever he's doing. He certainly is a rising figure in the management ranks. Uh, but like I said, I think most, if not all, of this show is going to be dedicated to the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of that is just because... It's been so long since I've been able to talk about the Flyers on this show. For reference, the final show I did before uh, the end of last semester, Alain Vigneault was still head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. I think there was one more week where I wasn't able to do the last show of last semester because I had office hours to go to or something like that for finals, Um, but... Yeah, it, it's been a while, and of course the Flyers were in the middle of it. It turned out to be a 10-game losing streak um, during that last show. And now last night, they lose their 12th straight game to the Dallas Stars, tying a franchise record set all the way back in the 1998-99 to 99 season. Ironically, I looked this up. The Flyers actually made the playoffs that season. This franchise has somehow a cat-like ability to just bounce back from the most bonkers losing streaks i mean even the 10 game losing streak that this year they rebounded with a f- uh, seven game point streak that actually has a brief overlap with this current 12 game losing streak Because last game of the point streak was an overtime loss so that cues the loss streak uh which of course started with their final game of uh, the calendar year of 2021 um However, it is not looking very good that they'll be able to keep that trend going just with where they are in the standings right now. Dead last in the Metropolitan Division. I think they're officially falling into the bottom five in the NHL standings now by points percentage. It's crazy that the Flyers have had these two epic losing streaks, and yet they're still nowhere close to even second to last just because of how terrible the Arizona Coyotes and Montreal Canadiens have been. I mean, the Habs are playing at a worse pace than the Connor McDavid tank Buffalo Sabres from 2014-15, or even that Avalanche team from 16-17 that just completely fell apart. Both of those teams finished with less than 50 points, and the Canadians are on that pace as well right now. Um, but yeah, if you look at the Saints right now, the Flyers are actually sixth in points percentage. Let's go. Um, at 34 points, of 405 points percentage which is obviously pretty terrible. It's a 66-point pace. It would be their lowest point total since they finished dead last in the NHL in 06-07. The only teams behind them are the Buffalo Sabres, who absolutely throttled the Flyers on Saturday, the Seattle Kraken, who the Flyers' last win came against way back on December 29th, the Ottawa Senators, and of course, the Arizona Coyotes and Montreal Canadiens, who have been in the basement all season long. And that is where the Flyers have really been turning to lately. So I kind of want to talk about how this has happened and why the Flyers are so bad and just what if anything can be done other than just a complete and total teardown and you know maybe look ahead to the trade deadline as well because obviously the Flyers do have quite a few pending unrestricted free agents of course none bigger than their captain Claude Giroux uh, but also some more some other useful names as well, especially Rasmus is a line and jumps off the page as someone that maybe could go for a decent haul just based off given what the Flyers paid for him in the off season and what I have a move if I was not in favor of a move that actually hasn't turned out as terrible um as I thought it was going to in a vacuum. Um but obviously you factor that in with the context of how bad the Flyers are and giving up your first-round pick last year and your second-round pick this year, which looks like it's going to be a pretty high pick, and their second-round pick next year is also not um, of their property. I mean, they're in position right now where they'll probably be able to recoup some picks at the deadline, but obviously that is certainly not what any Flyers fan had in mind. So, honestly, if you're going to look, you know what, let's get the injury situation right out of the way. First of all, every single team has dealt with injuries in COVID this year. It's no secret. Um, over half of the NHL's players have gotten, have been on the COVID list at some point during the season, whether they tested positive or... I don't think unvaccinated players have to go on if they're close contacts, but... Over half the league's players have been on the COVID list this year. So it's not like this is an issue unique to the Flyers, and teams always have to deal with injuries. And some teams handle them better than others. You know, you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, They didn't have Crosby, Malkin, or Latang to start the year. And by the grace of God, Evan Rodriguez decides to turn into a first-line center. And here the Penguins are, once again, near the top of the NHL standings. You know, perfectly in playoff position. It looks like they're going to make... The playoffs, if you count them losing the qualifier round as making the playoffs, and I mean, you probably should, considering that they were definitely going to make the playoffs uh, if that 2019-20 season finished normally. They will extend what it will be, I think it'll be 15 years now, since their first playoff appearance, uh, to the Crosby Bay was 07, and they haven't missed since. So it would be 15, maybe 16 seasons, I believe it would actually be. I think it'd be 16 straight seasons if they uh, indeed make the playoffs this year. And it certainly looks like they're going to. I mean, they're fifth in the NHL in points. Uh, they are eighth in points percentage. So, I mean, look at the Penguins. You know, they're a prime example that teams actually can survive, maybe even thrive, when facing significant injuries. However, the Penguins, when it comes to that, are the exception, not the rule. And you look at the na- list of players the Flyers have out right now, and it's pretty shocking. You know, they're without a ton of centers. They're top three natural centers, I would argue. I, for that purposes I'm counting Claude Drew as a winger since that's where he plays when the Flyers are fully healthy. No Sean Katori right now, no Kevin Hayes, no Derek Brassard. Hayes has only played about half of the Flyers games this season. He's very clearly been not at one hundred percent in those games after going under undergoing two surgeries in the offseason and just undergoing a surgery. Last week, that's going to have him out for certainly most three to four weeks. I know Mike Yo said that Hayes is hopeful that he can return a bit sooner than that, uh, but even still, you know it's hard to expect Kevin Hayes to be the player we saw in twenty nineteen twenty when he looked like he was the answer to the second line center wall that the Flyers have been dealing with for quite a long time. Uh, Obviously, Couturier has not been at 100% this year. Even before he went on injured reserve, uh, Mike Yo admitted that he'd been playing through injuries all season. And now he's he's officially termed week to week at first um, when he was put on IR with a lower body injury. But, I mean, Yo said there's no timetable for his return. He's not even skating right now. And, of course, the same thing goes for Ryan Ellis, who's played even fewer games. You know, the Flyers' biggest issue last season was. Goaltending, but a big part of that was that their defense was not playing that well either, and it all stemmed from the loss of their top pair defenseman from the 2019-20 season in Matt Niskanen, who if you might remember, of course, retired kind of out of nowhere, out of the after the uh, bubble playoffs ended with one year left on his contract. The Flyers tried to survive with internal replacements. They thought Phil Myers maybe could fill that role. They thought Shane Goss bear maybe could return to form, and it just didn't work out. They wound up playing Justin Braun in the top pair for most of last year. And no disrespect to Justin Braun, he's still a solid player, but he's 34 years old and he's not a top pair level defenseman. You know, that's not an insult to Justin Braun. He's a fine player, but he's not that type of player. And the Flyers realized that this offseason that they couldn't go internal again at that position. They needed to make a move. And so they made a move and they got a really good defenseman in Ryan Ellis and he just hasn't been there this entire season. And to be honest with you, it's getting hard to believe that he's going to come back at all this season both in terms of just his general health and also, you know, considering where the Flyers are in the standings right now, it wouldn't make sense to bring... Even if Ellis is able to play at, say, 70%, it probably doesn't make sense to play him at that, um, given where the Flyers are in the standings, and they're incredibly low probability of making the playoffs and now I know a lot of people would say that oh well this the Flyers had this coming for them Ellis is injury prone you know you look at his career he only played 35 games last year only 49 games the year before that and only 44 two years before that however if you look at his the actual injuries I would quibble with the fact that he's injury prone he did have a surgery after the Nationals run to the 2017 Stanley Cup final But there's a Maple Leafs player from a while ago that I've heard referenced. He was asked by a reporter, are you injury prone after being injured a couple times? And the player said, no, I'm prone to traumatic blows to the head. And uh, Ryan Ellis, actually, I was actually going to say he wasn't all head injuries, but actually one of them was, you might remember in the 2020 Winter Classic when Corey Perry had to do that big walk of shame after he got kicked out of the game. He got kicked out for elbowing Ryan Ellis in the head, and that's what caused him to miss a significant chunk of games that season almost half of the year last season he missed 21 games after breaking his knuckle on a shot from patrick line so those type of plays they're flukes you know it's not like we're talking about a guy who's had multiple surgeries you know who's always missing games um you know, who just has nagging injuries and pain, chronic pain, that you're not sure if he's ever going to be at 100 percent again. The Flyers had, didn't have reason to expect that Ellis was only going to be able to play in four of their first 42 games when they acquired him this off season because of the fluky nature of those two most recent injuries. And unfortunately, that's just the way it's played out. And with Ellis not there, the trickle down effect is obvious on the Flyers' defense. You have Justin Braun, you know, playing in a role that's above his head. We've seen now over the last couple of years that Ivan Provorov. Is not a number one defenseman. He's a solid number two, but in order for him to really be playing truly great hockey, he needs to have a great partner next to him. You know, 2017 18 Shane Goss is Bear when he was a 65 point player and a Norris uh, vote getter, or in 2019 20. And it looked like, you know, Provorov was going to have that guy with Ellis, and they looked solid in the few games that they did get to play together. Um, But obviously it doesn't look like that's going to be the case again anytime soon. And, you know, you can obviously see the effect it has on the Flyers' defense and their 5-on-5 play in general, which has been a huge issue for them. And the special teams haven't been much better, frankly. You know, you look at the stats and it's not that difficult to see why the Flyers— are where they are in the standings right now. Basically, the only thing that's gone right for them this season is goaltending, which is kind of ironic because, you know, last year, of course, goaltending was the Flyers' biggest issue. Carter Hart, of course, had an 8 save percentage, the worst save percentage by a goaltender in about two decades with at least, you know, more than a couple games played over the course of the year. But, I mean, Hart was phenomenal again last night against the Dallas Stars. I mean, he made a save-of-the-year candidate on the th- in the third period to preserve a tie, robbing Miro Haskin in backdoor. He's stopped uh, 4.3 goals above expected per MoneyPuck.com's model, and Martin Jones, who you know there was kind of concern going into the start of the year, he's been mostly fine as well. He's at minus 3.7 goals saved above expected. I would bet a lot of that stems from a really poor performance on Saturday in Buffalo. Other than that, I think Jones has mostly been pretty solid. He's had some truly great games as well, especially at the start of the season. He was outstanding, but... You know, I don't think his 9.02 save percentage necessarily does him justice, and you know that game on Saturday against Buffalo, you know, really put a dent on his numbers, and let him four goals on eight shots. You know, if you throw out that outlier, and his numbers, you know, look a lot better, much more in line with his career 9.08 save percentage, which is definitely respectable for a backup goaltender, and so that really hasn't been an issue for the Flyers this season as it has was it was last year and has been for so many of the last 20 years or so, or at least since Ron Hextall uh, finished his playing days in Philadelphia. And we'll talk more about the Ron Hextall um, call-out that Bobby Clark gave on the Cam and Strickland uh, podcast um, a couple weeks ago now. Um, we we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, I mean, you look at the Flyers' lineup right now, and... I mean, it's just an absolute shambles. You know, this was a Flyers team that coming into the year, they didn't have the high-end talent of a team like Colorado or Toronto or Vegas. And we all knew that. The Flyers' path towards contending was that they were going to be a deep team, that they were going to be able to roll four lines, that they were going to be better than the sum of their parts. And you look at the team right now, you've got a third line of Max Willman, who is A best of fringe NHL player and Jerry Mayhew, who's only played you know 20 NHL games and is in his you know mid to late 20s. Last night they actually played really well, but you know as I mentioned, and I should also mention that I actually write about sports as well, both for the Observer and a website, VendettaSportsMedia.com. You can read my recap from last night's game against the Dallas Stars, or just about anything I write. Cover every Flyers game have since the 2018-19 season and also do power rankings every month and other stuff as well. Right about the Phillies when baseball is in a lockout sometimes. Um, but, you know, you have a line like that. They played well last night, but, I mean, they've got nine goals in 93 career games combined between the three of them. It's those two with Morgan Frost. So it's easy to understand, you know, ah, oh, they just can't finish. Well, yeah, because they're not good at finishing. Some of it's bad luck, of course, but also some of it, it's just they're not talented enough to put the puck in the back of the net. And you look at the Flyer, the guys that the Flyers are missing right now, Couturier, Hayes, Joel Farabee even. Um, those are guys that the Flyers are counting on to put the puck in the back of the net when they're healthy. And they're supposed to be some of the team's top goal scorers, You know, especially Couturier, who's been a 70-point player the last handful of seasons, and a couple of 30-goal seasons to his name as well. Um, and obviously that puts more pressure on a guy like Claude Giroux, who's usually a playmaker, that he's got to score more goals now. Um and the one player skater who actually has been going well, it seems like, other than Giroux, is Cam Atkinson, who's their best pure goal scorer this season, uh, coming over in that trade with Columbus. That's one of the moves that Chuck Fletcher made in the offseason. That actually has worked out. I'd say that Derek Broussard's signing has been good when he's healthy, but again, when he's healthy, he's only played in, what, two games since mid-November or so? Um so, again, more injury concerns. And, you know, you look at the fourth line, you've got Nick Sealer, a defenseman, playing left wing because the Flyers' forward depth was just so decimated. They moved Sealer to wing because he apparently used to play there in college. And, I mean, you could obviously see early on in that game last night, you know, his natural instinct is to be a defenseman. So he's kind of hanging back. He's going to force himself to be aggressive. He did almost set up a goal from Jackson Cates early on in that game, which would have just been the funniest thing ever. And I'm so mad we didn't get it, even if the Flyers had still gone on to lose. I feel like at the very least we deserved that but it didn't. It wasn't meant to be unfortunately but I mean you look at the Flyers on it right now it's just guys who are in roles too big for themselves you know Giroux at first line center at a time in his career where he's better at wing Scott Lawton is probably best either at third line wing or fourth line center and he's at second line center right now you know you've got a guy who's slumping right now and Travis Connectney who's Scored two goals since November 15th, and both of the goals have been incredibly fluky. One off a pass that deflected off two defenders and the other off a turnover uh, by the Islanders' goaltender on Tuesday night. Um, so maybe in a perfect world, you know, you maybe have him a little bit lower in the lineup or in something like that. But obviously you can't really do that right now because there's just nobody else to move into the top six. And, I mean, if you want to put Frost I mean, you have no centers. they don't have an extra center right now. They just put Connor Bunneman on the taxi squad. It sounds like he's going to play tonight. But he and Lena Sandine weren't able to play in last night's game because they played on Saturday and Sunday with the Phantoms. So Flyers didn't want them playing three games in three nights, which is understandable. But, I mean, when your team built on depth and your depth has just been absolutely decimated this season, you know, I mean, there's really... You could obviously see the problem there And I didn't mention Wade Allison as well You know uh, Promising at the start of last season Gets hurt in prospect camp Alright he's back now after a couple months And he gets an elbow injury in the All Alright he gets back He gets called to the NHL And he gets hurt again And now he's out for a couple weeks Just seems like every player The Flyers have tried to plug in It seems like they're either getting hurt Or just not producing at the level that they need to be And obviously You know The injuries are a big concern But you know some of the guys in the lineup, like I said, just aren't playing as well as they need to be. You know Ivan Provorov, the Flyers desperate. If the Flyers would have any shot at being good this season with Ellis out, they needed Provorov to step up, and he hasn't been able to do that. You know Travis Konecny, I know he's been getting unlucky, and I know he's been racking up assists, but you know this is a guy who a couple of years ago, 2019-20, scored at a 30 goal pace. And he's on pace to score only about 14 goals this season. He's only sh- he's only shooting 6.5%, which is just due for some regression to the mean. But, you know, in the interim, you know, the Flyers need goals, and he's someone they count on to score, and he hasn't just been able to score enough. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Same with James Van Riemsdyk, uh, who's got 10 goals in 42 games, only 16 points. You know, this is a guy the Flyers are paying $7 million a year, and, I mean, he's only on pace for not even—just barely over 30 points this season. Um, some of the need more out of, um, it's concerning obviously, and especially the guys they have on long-term contracts, you know, most of the guys that are on long-term deals are, you know, the guys who are on injured reserve right now or long-term injured reserve guys like Kevin Hayes, Sean Couturier, Ryan Ellis, you know, Cam Atkinson is the one guy who's signed long-term and is healthy and is productive right now. So that's good. JVR is still under contract through the end of next season. Um, And so I guess the roster construction for the Flyers right now is really in a tough place. And, you know, the Flyers, of course, a couple of years ago in 2014 when Ron Hextall took over, they were in a bad spot in terms of their cap situation. They had a ton of bad contracts on the books. They were a very old team. They didn't have many draft picks or prospects after really going all in at the start of the 2010s, trying to win a Stanley Cup and coming close, but obviously not close enough. And so the Ron Hextall era was all about resetting things and, you know, building up a prospect pool that, you know, would combine with the old guard of Giroux and Simmons and Voracek when those guys were still in Philadelphia. You know, Steve Mason was the goaltender and looked like he might be the goalie of the future for the Flyers. Um, It was all about combining those two waves, you know, and forming an outstanding team. And obviously, the Flyers have fallen short in that regard, and it's really raised a lot of questions on the Ron Hextall area. And so let's get into that clip now. This is from the Cam and Strickland podcast from January 11th. This is Bobby Clark, of course, former Flyers captain, best player in franchise history, former general manager as well of the team. You might remember him as the guy who drafted Claude Giroux and forgot his name in 2006. If you're not a big hockey fan in terms of the history of the game, you don't know who Bobby Clark is as a player. Uh, He may have seen that clip before. But this is him talking about the Ron Hextall era. And you can obviously feel the frustration um, in his voice and the disappointment as well. So I'm just going to play the clip and then we'll come back and analyze it. And we'll talk more about the Flyers and where things are going.
1: He alienated everybody right away. He alienated everybody right away. He shut his door. He locked the doors. He was the boss, and nobody else was part of it. We end up drafted. We get the second pick in the draft, and we end up drafting Nolan Patrick. None of our scouts wanted Nolan Patrick. It wasn't – I mean, I don't know where Patrick should have gone after his performances in Brown, and he's a pretty good player. But he certainly – they had. Uh, they wanted Makar. Of course, he went next. No, he's a superstar, and Patrick – Patrick hasn't played. Number, but Hexel made that choice himself, and there were other choices that were made in our drafts that we're paying for. You know, we've got two or three first-round picks that are never going to play. And that's why we're, we're struggling. Hexy he made some huge mistakes, and hey, he he gave the Blues Braden Shen too. You know, so I mean, I know. you know, so that was just as bad. You know, we were nobody knew it. Hexie made that on his own. All our scouts, it was at the draft. Our scouts were so mad at Hexie for doing that. We also had a chance to get O'Reilly from Buffalo, but we didn't. Obviously, that was the manager's decision, but it was another one that the scouts weren't consulted on.
0: Mm. All right, so before we get into some analysis of that clip, we've actually got some minor Flyers breaking news here. Uh, for jo- per Jordan Hall of NBC Sports Philadelphia, the Flyers have hired John Torchetti as a new assistant coach. Um, if there's anyone who's a Flyers fan and a Minnesota Wild fan, you're having even more deja vu than you've had over the last couple of years. Because, of course, the Flyers' general manager is Chuck Fletcher, who used to be general manager of the Minnesota Wild. Their current interim head coach is Mike Yo, who used to be head coach of the Minnesota Wild, and in fact was head coach of the Wild until the 2015 16 season, when he was fired 55 games into the season and replaced by, you guessed it, John Torchetti. Uh, Torchetti has been an, NH- an interim NHL head coach three times 03 uh, 04 with the Florida Panthers, 05 06 with the LA Kings, and 2015 16, as I mentioned, after he took over for Mike Yo. Uh, with the Minnesota wild he actually led the wild uh, the wild were 23 22 and two or 23 22 and 10 when yo was fired the wild finished that season 15 11 and one they were able to make the playoffs that year It was a really weak year for the Western Conference as uh, so you can tell by how many points they finished with and they lost in six games in the first round to the Dallas Stars um, and he was their interim coach that year um, Looking at him on right now, Uh, he was, after that, he became an assistant coach for the Detroit Red Wings, and then on 2019, in January 2019, he returned as head coach of director of hockey operations for the Moncton Wildcats, uh, which is a QMJHL team, and then he was fired due to internal reasons uh, that December, so I don't know, it doesn't look like he's been in the coaching ranks since that dismissal, Um, so a bit of an interesting move. Um, obviously the one parallel here that everyone's going to be drawing right away is oh in 2015 16 Fletcher fired yo midseason and Torchetti took over is that's what's going to happen again during the obviously you know as a result of the Flyers losing 12 consecutive games my initial gut feeling is that it's possible but it's pretty unlikely and I think that's just because you know I mean where the Flyers are in the season this year is basically a lost cause you know I, I highly doubt bringing in a new coach is gonna invigorate the flyers right now uh, to get them to the point where they can make any semblance of a playoff run um I mean the flyers have tried that with yo and I guess you could say they did get a bit of a brief boost uh, starting five two and two under his tenure before of course now losing um what do they they oh, 10 and two uh, oh nine and two over their last 11 games because the five two and two run includes the first game of the losing streak slash last game of the point streak, which is just an annoying, fun overlap um, that I have to deal with and kind of referencing those stats. Uh, but I just don't really think that Torchetti would provide any type of significant boost to the team. I think they're probably better off waiting to the off season. And it, really, if the Flyers are going, whatever direction the Flyers need to go, go in with their next head coach, it needs to be compatible with where they're going with the organization as a whole and so I guess this can kind of get into the you know broader picture discussion of the Flyers right now and obviously talking about that Bobby Clark clip there might be a little bit of recency bias in that pick obviously if Hextall had alienated the scouts and picked Patrick and they had been mad that they wanted to pick McCarr, but if Patrick had turned out to be a superstar then I think everyone would be at least somewhat happy and obviously, there's some bad luck involved uh, with Patrick's injury situation. Although maybe even if he stayed healthy, I mean, there's a decent chance he never becomes as much of a game breaking talent as Kale McCarr is right now. And obviously, you know, even before this, the issues Hextall had, had with being aloof and you know alienating team alumni had been well documented when he was first fired by the Flyers, or when he was first fired when he was actually fired by the Flyers as general manager in December or November 2018. In fact, fun parallel between last night's game and the Hextall firing. Last night's game between the Flyers and Stars was the second penalty-free game in Flyers history, the first of which was the final game of the Ron Hextall era, which was a 6-0 fa- loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs on the day after Black Friday 2018. I think it was November 24th or 23rd, something like that. Uh, but either way, there you go. Um, but in terms of talking about you know, where the Flyers are going long-term, Obviously, I think most of the fan base wants a rebuild right now. I, I don't think that's a hot take right now, and I think it's pretty easy to understand why. You know, the Flyers for a while were kind of perpetually stuck in that hole. We're two years away from being two years away thing, and you know these these last three years have been supposed to. You know, they said they were two years away from being two years away in 2017 and 2018. Well, that's four years, which leads into 2021 and 2022. And here we are in 2022 with the Flyers being nowhere near where the Ron Hexel era was supposed to take them. Um, By the way, uh, the Flyers, as you just reminded, uh, sent in their tweet that Chorteni will join Yo, who will remain interim head coach for the remainder of the season, along with assistants Nick Schultz and Daryl Williams. There's more of the Minnesota Wild deja vu, of course, with Nick Schultz, who played 10 seasons for the Wild. is the third all-time most games played in their franchise history. Um, I actually wondered if Tortini might be taking over for Schultz, just because you know Schultz seemed to be... Schultz was added to the bench after they fired Michelle Therrien, and I know that it was initially reported right after the Flyers uh, fired Therrien by Elliott Freeman that they were potentially looking at Rob Blake as a new interim uh, or not interim, but a new assistant coach. So I would kind of seemed like at first that Schultz might just be there for a couple games, but it seems like now he's going to finish out the season at this point alongside uh, Daryl Williams, who of course has been there since the start of the season and was brought in by Aline Vigneault uh, over the summer. So yeah, there you go. So the Flyers coaching staff for the rest of the season, barring any further news, Mike Yeo is head coach and then assistants John Torchetti, Nick Schultz and Daryl Williams. Um, so getting back into the uh, future aspect of the Flyers right now, You know, the Flyers, of course, thought that, all right, our prospects are going to, this is the timeline where our prospects are going to come up. They're going to mesh with the old guard, and this is when we're going to become a really good team. And maybe they would have if everyone had stayed healthy, but, you know, this isn't a video game where you can just turn off injuries, unfortunately. You know, the Flyers have to, you know, deal with the reality that they're in right now, which is that they are one of the worst teams record-wise in the National Hockey League. They're a fairly old team as well, not insanely old, I would say. You know, they do have some good young players, uh, guys like Konechny and Provorov and Carter Hart, of course, who are all twenty-five or younger. I know Provorov and Konechny have had disappointing seasons, but they still are—they can be good players and have disappointing seasons. Those so things are not mutually exclusive. Um, But I mean, you look at the age of some of the guys and some of the contracts of some of the players, you know, on the team, you know, Cam Atkinson is 32 years old and he signed for three more years after this one at 5.875 million. Kevin Hayes is 29, and he's signed for seven, about $7.15 million uh, for four years after this one. Ryan Ellis, of course, is 31, and he is signed for $6.25 million for five seasons after this one. Sean Couturier is 29, and he has an eight-year extension kicking in at uh, the start of next season that goes until twenty thirty at seven point seven five million dollars per season. One that if he stays mostly healthy will likely and doesn't get traded, um, will likely end in him becoming the all time games played leader in Flyers franchise history. Um, which is I don't think which is something I think that kinda of went under the radar when he signed that extension, by the way. That I mean if he stayed fully healthy, he would pass Clark and Giroux and everyone else by a couple hundred games actually. Obviously, that probably won't be the case, and you know we're seeing it right now with him being out potentially for most of, maybe even the entire regular season. But I mean, like Yo said yesterday, there's no specific timeline on those guys, so it's not confirmed that Couturier is going to miss the regular season, rest of the regular season. Um, just that it doesn't seem like he's going to be coming back in the immediate future, and so when you look at contracts like those, you know it's hard to envision a rebuild. But, you know, you also look at the roster the Flyers have right now and, you know, if you have a bad team that's old, I mean, there's really only one place to go and that's to tear it all down. And so I think now we can kind of, you know, maybe look into the trade deadline moving forward here Um, uh, and kind of what the Flyers might be up to at that point in the season. Of course, the trade deadline isn't for a couple of months. Uh, it's a little bit later this season uh, than it would be in previous years because they originally had the Olympic break uh, in the schedule. Uh, the regular season isn't going to finish until late April, whereas it usually finishes the first week of April or so. Uh, the traded line, by the way, this year is March 21st, so a exact- little under two months away. Uh, but never too early to get a look ahead of that when you're a team that's as low in the standings as the Flyers are right now. So looking at the UFAs, you have Claude Giroux, of course. Um, UFAs, that's the end of the season. Jerry Mayhew, I don't think he's going to go for anything. Uh, Rasmus Kristalinen, Justin Braun, Keith Yandel, Kevin Connaughton, and Nick Steeler. Again, they're going for literally nothing. I mean, Connaughton was claimed on waivers early in the season. So, I mean, basically shows that nobody wants him. Although, I mean, I guess every team could always... <clears throat> Always used a little depth, so maybe you fetch a conditional seventh for him at the trade deadline. Woohoo! Uh, you also have Martin Jones, Derek Brassard, and Nate Thompson, who's another guy who's been injured for a really long time. You know he hasn't played in a couple months. Uh, don't know when he's going to come back, or even if he's going to come back. Maybe this is like a chemo teammate situation where he gets traded before he comes back. I know teammate didn't play any single any games that season when he was traded to Chicago. Uh, but you get what I'm saying in terms of. You know, him coming back from injury and then just being immediately traded. I mean, so you're looking at a couple of depth picks uh, for some of the depth guys, of course, which obviously is usually how it goes. You probably get like a sixth for Martin Jones, a fifth for Keith Yandel, um, maybe a fifth or sixth for Nate Thompson if he's healthy, a fourth for Derek Broussard if he's healthy. Justin Braun is probably the first guy I could see maybe going for something decent. probably get at least a third for him maybe like a conditional second and like a fourth or something like that Um, if you are, you're able to find the right team you know Braun like I said he's not a top pair defenseman but he still is a solid you know he's probably best student in a third pair role but even he's held his more than held his own on second pair when he's played with Travis Sandheim at times this season and last year but obviously he's had to play a lot more with Ivan Proverov than anyone's been banking on uh, with the injuries the Flyers have had this year and Ryan Ellis and of course the situation last year with Niskan retiring. And the Flyers, you know, punting the, kicking the can down the road when it terms, in terms of finding an external replacement, figuring that they could at least survive the first half of the season. Um, uh, without of the first half of the 2021 season without replacing Niskanen right away, and obviously it didn't really happen. Um, speaking of right hand defenseman who could go for a lot, Rasmus Kristalinen, I know the Flyers traded a first and a second round pick for him, and let me just be the bearer of bad news right away. There's a pretty high chance that the Flyers aren't going to get a first and a second back for Rasmus Linen, let alone more than a first and a second round pick. What I think they can get back for him is probably a second and another asset, whether that's either a second and a third, a second and a prospect, maybe even two seconds if you find the right team. I don't think a first round pick is completely out of the realm of possibility just because a NHL GMs have a tendency to Be stupid, and you know if there's one thing that NHL general managers uh, value very highly, more than just about anything, it's big right-handed defensemen. And Rasmus Ristolainen is a big right-handed defenseman, folks. Uh, In case you weren't aware. And also, I will say this: that Rasmus Ristolainen has not been the biggest problem for the Flyers by far this season. In fact, I would dare say that he's actually been solid. The Flyers have a 47.8 expected goals percentage when he's on the ice, which basically means that for every 47.5 goals the Flyers are expected to score, when Ristolainen is on the ice, opponents are expected to score 52.5, basically about that, which isn't that great. However, it's actually a bit, quite a bit above the Flyers team expected goals percentage, which is just above 46%, about 46.1%. So he's playing better than the average Flyer, which is something that you really haven't been able to say about him in his entire career. You know, Ristolainen has always been an advanced staffs whipping boy um, in his time with the Buffalo Sabres, uh, but he's at a career high in Corsi and uh, he has a career high in Corsi four percentage. If you don't know what Corsi is, it's basically just shot attempts percentage. So for every about 48.6 shots, the Flyers attempt when wrist line is on the ice, the opponent attempts 51.4, um, which is not optimal. Of course, you'd rather be out shooting teams, but it's, you know, fairly close to being break-even. Uh, this is the highest he's been in that department in his entire NHL career. Um, you look at his expected goals rating as well, it is his second highest in his career behind only the 2018-19 season, um, of course. And it was also nice to see him score a goal on Saturday against his old team, the Buffalo Sabres. Um of the last like four Flyers games always have always had have had big like uh, moral impl- not moral implications, but they've been meaningful games beyond the games themselves. Of course with Jake Voracek returning to Philadelphia on Thursday, Rasmus Ristolainen returning to Buffalo on Saturday, and then Keith Gandal last night tying Doug Jarvis's streak of consecutive games played at nine hundred and sixty four, and then passing well is in line to pass Jarvis tonight for nine sixty five on Long Island. Um should be exciting to see. Uh, that as well. I know it's been a really disappointing season for Yandel. Uh, that his performance has not been great. However, um, you know it is, it is a really cool milestone and a really impressive milestone for Yandel uh, to reach as well. So big congratulations to him. You know it takes a certain a tremendous amount of drive and focus and. You know, the ability to play through pain to get anywhere close to 965 consecutive games played, let alone actually get there. There's definitely some luck involved in it as well. I know Jim Jackson mentioned on the Flyers broadcast that there was apparently one game that Yandel, this season actually, he'd blocked his shot the night before and he thought he wasn't going to play at the morning skate, and then he was able to tough it out and play that night. Um, so, I mean, it takes an incredible amount of work ethic and perseverance and all that stuff. And I know that doesn't, That's not going to make fans who have seen the turnovers and the mistakes that he's made completely fall in love with him. I'm not saying that you have to feel that way, but it is legitimately impressive what Keith Yandel has done, and I do think it's definitely worth mentioning, of course, as well. Um, but looking at, going back to Ristolainen, of course, I talked about how his expected goals rate has been better than the average flyer in terms of relative numbers. This is the first time in his career that he's had an expected goals rate relative to his teammates. So the first time that his team is generating more expected goals when he is on the ice than off it. And in terms of course Corsi pers- 4 percentage, which is, again, just shot attempts percentage, this is only the second time in Ristolainen's career that his team attempts more shots uh, when he's on the ice relative to when he's on the bench. Uh, the only other tie was the 2017-18 season with the Buffalo Sabres, and he's also got a career high, uh, plus 1.55% in that department. He was just barely break-even, over-break-even in that 17-18 season with Buffalo at 0.15%. So Rastner's line is legitimately playing, I would say, the best hockey of his career. It's not to say he's a perfect player. It's not even saying that he's worth a first-round pick, but you look at what right-handed defensemen have gone for. I mean, we saw David Savard go to Tampa Bay last year for a first and I think another pick, like a third or fourth round pick. Um, I know Savard had actually been the opposite for a long time. He'd usually been a guy who had favored by analytics before, you know, that department's kind of dropped off for him in the last year or two. He went for a first and a third and a fourth round pick uh, from the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets to the Tampa Bay Lightning. The first and third went to Columbus. The fourth went to Detroit, who retained 50% of his salary. Uh, in that trade, uh, both sides retained 50% in his uh, salary. The uh, Blue Jackets technically traded him to the Red Wings, retaining 50%. And then he was traded again to the Lightning, uh, with Detroit retaining 50%. So they were really were able to retain two thirds of his contract uh, by doing it that way. So that's how you can retain more than 50% in the CBA, uh, weaponizing cap space, which is just what a rebuilding team should do. And I would recommend it's what the Flyers should do, although they don't really have any gap space right now. Um, now, granted, they could clear up a lot by moving someone like Sean Couturier to long-term injured reserve or Kevin maybe Kevin Hayes as well, though he sounds like he's going to come back relatively short in short time. Same with Joel Farabee, you know, with the Flyers having only two games in their next two weeks after tonight's game. Um, it might not make sense to put him in long-term injured reserve because you have to be on that for at least 10 games before you can come back and with the Flyers having so many days off uh, with the All-Star break coming up and whatnot um, you would potentially miss out on games where Faraby could play when he's healthy Uh, so they probably want to do that but they could definitely move or sorry Katori actually is on long-term injured reserve now I guess that was a move that they just made he was initially just just placed on injured reserve uh, but looking at cap friendly um, he is indeed listed on long-term injured reserve right now so I think that would mean the Flyers do have at least some cap space to clear or some cap space that they could use right now. But, I mean, it's kind of hard to gauge. Right now, Cap Friendly says that their projected cap hit is almost 80, is almost $85.8 million, which is obviously well over the salary cap, but then they factor in long-term injury reserve. So it's always kind of hard to gauge at this point in the season. So I don't know if the Flyers will be able to do something like what Detroit did last year, you know, retaining salary from another team uh for another team to get like a mid-round pick back uh to help them fit a player under the salary cap for a, a playoff run uh but maybe that's something that they would be able to do especially if couturier or and ellis are able to come off long-term major reserve and then you look into trading other guys like crystalline and potentially makes 5.4 million brownie makes 1.8 jones makes 2 million and that could clear up some cap space and of course the ultimate potential cap moving trade would be to trade the captain Claude Giroux, so obviously Giroux, the first thing that Flyers fans need to remember is that, or anyone who, you know, is interested in potentially getting Claude Giroux in their hockey team, is that Claude Giroux does still have a full no-move clause, so the Flyers cannot trade Giroux without his approval, and they cannot trade him to a team that he does not approve of, so obviously say like a team uh say the Calgary Flames wanted to get Drew for example and then put him with Johnny Gaudreau you know the Flyers fans have always wanted to see Gaudreau and Drew in Philly maybe they'll see Gaudreau and Drew in Calgary um but Drew could potentially veto that I know a lot of players right now don't want to go to Canada uh because of the uh COVID restrictions obviously being much more strict in Canada I know that At least Ontario is starting to, you know, ease attendance restrictions again, which is good to see, but even still. Um, So, Drew has to approve a trade um, in general. You know, Flyers can't trade him if he doesn't want to be traded. And if they do, if Drew says, look, I'm willing to be traded, the Flyers still have to get his approval on the destination that they would, you know, wish to send him to. I think, obviously, a lot of people would assume, well, well, why wouldn't Claude Giroux want to be traded? He's 34 years old. He's never won a Stanley Cup before. You know, why wouldn't he want to get a contender? The two reasons why maybe Giroux would want to stay, the first one is obvious. You know, he's been a Flyer his entire career. He was drafted in the first round by the Flyers in 2006, like I mentioned, by Bobby Clark. He's been on the Flyers. He briefly made his initial debut as an emergency call-up in the 07-08 season. But he really emerged as a full time flyer in the second half of the 2008 09 season. And he's been a flyer, you know, ever since, of course, his entire career. He's the longest tenured captain in Flyers franchise history, which he's been since the 2012 2013 season. He's been one of the most productive Flyers players of all time. He's 17 games away from hitting the 1,000 games played mark. I don't know. I would assume that he could, I would assume that he would be able to get there before the trade deadline. So if, Getting to a thousand games as a Flyer is a big deal for Giroux. Um, I think there's a good chance that he would be able to get there. I'll actually look at the schedule right now. The Flyers have two games left in February, or two games left in January, excuse me. They have three, five, eight games in February, and then in March before the trade deadline, they have three, six, nine. Yeah, Giroux would be able to get to a thousand games assuming he stays healthy uh, as a Philadelphia Flyer. Um, before the trade deadline, if that's something that he really cares about, specifically uh, getting that 1,000 game milestone, all in the same uniform, and some guys do really value you know, playing with the same team their entire career, and so maybe that's the way Giroud wants to go once to go down. Um, you know, remember it as someone who stuck with the Flyers organization the entire way. And for the record, if Giroud does want to be traded, that should absolutely nothing to hinder that part of his legacy. It would be completely understandable for Giroud to you know want to be traded to contender or even if he leaves as a free agent in the off season, you know he deserves a stanley cup and i think every flyers fan can agree on that um of course Giroux, another you know milestone drew can you know maybe want to seek out is the flyers all-time lead in games played which is bobby clark at 1144 games so Giroux would need to be a flyer for two more full seasons uh, or at least a season and a half after this year ends uh, to reach that milestone, I think we had hit it probably around November, December of the 2023 season, 2023-2024, I guess. Man, that's, wow, it that seems so far away, and yet it's also kind of close, which is crazy to think about. Uh, Bobby Clark holds the record at 1,144 games played, um, all but the Flyers. Drew is at 983. Of course, the other reason why Giroux maybe would want to stay is, you know, he has a wife. He has two young kids. Uh, maybe he wants to, you know, stay in the area to, you know, raise them. That he's, they have already, he and his wife Ryan have already, you know, settled down here. You know, that this is where they, maybe where they decide they want to raise their kids and raise their family. Um, obviously, of course, they could come back if Jerome goes to a contender at the deadline or, you know, in free agency in the summer or whatnot. But maybe that's obviously the family aspect I'm sure will go into Giroux's decision as well i'm sure he'll talk with his wife ryan about what they want to do uh, in terms of his future with the flyers and whatnot um if the flyers were to trade him if were to approve a trade i think you're probably i mean obviously a first round pick is the base if you're the flyers you're probably looking for a first round pick and another asset equivalent to a first round pick whether that's a second first round pick or a really good prospect you know a recent first-round pick or you know, maybe a later-round pick who's really shot up uh, uh, prospect rankings and whatnot. You're looking for another team. It's not necessarily their very best prospect, but probably a top-five prospect in an average system, I would say. you know, Maybe top-ten at a really great system. Um, but you're looking for a first-round pick and a significant prospect or another first-round pick and then maybe another late-round pick or two attached on. I mean, you're getting a player, even at 34 years old, who is absolutely phenomenal. He leads the Flyers with 33 points in 39 games this year. Uh, he did miss three games due to COVID, which are the very first games he's missed since the 2015-16 season. He's never missed more than four games in a season since his first full year in the NHL in 2009-10. He's been able to lead the Flyers in scoring this year without a significant amount of help. You know, His starting linemates were uh, Sean Katoria and Travis Konechny. Uh, at the start of the year, and obviously Couturier has been hurt, playing hurt basically the whole season, and is hurt now, and Konechny just hasn't been able to finish. And we're talking about a pass-first player who, you know, is second on the Flyers in goals and leans the Flyers in points, despite, you know, some of the Flyers' best offensive weapons. That you're usually be setting up four goals, either not playing or not being at 100%. He's also done a lot of that while playing at center, which is basically where he's been um, exclusively since... Um, it's since Katori went down, and he'd been playing there quite a bit as well, even before Katori's injury With when Kevin Hayes uh, was not in the lineup as well. I know they started Drew at left wing. It was originally Derek Broussard at second-line center, but then when Broussard went down, Drew started playing even more center, and so he's best off as a left winger right at this point in his career. I think he definitely proved that in the 2017-18 season of course when he scored 102 points in his first career season at left wing uh it's not to say he's going to put up 102 points again but i think he could even be more productive offensively you know if he's traded to a team that puts him at wing but he can still play center as well he's phenomenal on faceoffs as well he's winning over 61 percent of his draws this year uh, he's always historically been right near the top on faceoffs. he's great on the power play as well and again the flyers power play struggled mightily this season uh, but it really hasn't been in part to Giroux. And you know a lot, of, a lot of the frustration with the previous power play coach, Michelle Terry, and the reason fans wanted him gone was that um, Giroux wasn't always on the left side of the power play formation, which is where he'd been basically for the last decade or so, really since the Carter and Richards trades in 2011. And so fans obviously weren't pleased with that. And Giroux's production didn't seem to be as strong uh, when he wasn't on those left half boards as well. Um, so that's obviously something that, you know, if a team acquires him, you know, uses him as second-line left winger and puts him on that spot of the power play uh, with lefties or whoever or someone at the point where he can set up for one-timers or, you know, any type of chance, you know, that could allow Drew to even be more productive than he already is. And, and you're talking about someone as well, I mean, he could potentially sign an extension with a team that is traded to him. Obviously, he's set right now to be an unrestricted free agent in the summer for the first time in his career. Uh, so maybe, especially if he wants, if he gets traded, maybe he feels strongly about testing the market. But, you know, it is certainly something that is potentially an option out there. Um, so we'll really have to see how it all goes right now. And the final point I kind of want to make um, about the Flyers right now is that this all just kind of stinks. I, if you're a Flyers fan, obviously, if you're a fan of a rival, you're probably gloating right now. And, you know, good for you. Uh, best of luck to your team in the playoffs if they make it. Um, if they, uh, if you're a fan of just another, another team in the Western Conference or something like that or a casual hockey fan, you know, you might not care that much. But if you're a Flyers fan like me, a big Flyers fan, I mean, this is all just a bummer, really. I mean, sometimes, you know, they can really give like a really elegant and, you know, poised analysis of all the X and o, X's and O's and that sort of stuff. And I certainly could do that if I had more time, you know, not only on this show, but also, you know, uh, you know, rewatch games and, you know, really dive into the flyer systems and whatnot. I love writing about the team. I love watching the team even during this losing streak, but I just don't have the time to, you know, I love to be a full-time beat writer, but I am not a full-time beat writer. So I don't have the time to do all the things that full-time beat writers do. Um, but I mean, there's just, Especially the last couple games, you know, at the start of the Flyers losing streak, this twelve game losing streak right now, the team was playing absolutely horrible. You know, their expected goals percentage was under forty seven percent, which is really poor. And you know, they've been in the bottom of the league uh, in terms of five on five metrics, you know, for most of the season. Their power play in terms of expected goals for is right at the bottom, and in terms of actual percentage, it's not much better. The penalty kill, which was really strong when Yo was coaching it as an assistant, has dropped off. Uh, quite significantly since he's taken over as head coach to the point where it's now you know, in the bottom half of the league as well at under 78%. The power play is under 16%. Flyers are getting heavily outshot. You know, they're allowing more shots than only three teams in the NHL at over 34 a game. Um, you know, and they're not generating enough offense. And, you know, when they do generate an offense, you know, they don't have the players that they'd want to to finish on those chances. So the, the chances that they do generate, they're less likely to score on because, you know, instead of, you know, on the third line, Wade Allison having a chance, you know, it's Jerry Mayhew. Instead of on the fourth line, it's Scott Lawton with a chance. No, instead it's Nick Steeler. Um, you can obviously see how those guys are like, less likely to score goals than uh, the players that usually would be in those spots if the Flyers were fully healthy. And if this is the end of the Claude Giroux era of the Philadelphia Flyers, and, you know, this is the beginning of probably the Flyers' first full, complete teardown since the early 90s, uh, if you're not a Flyers fan, or even if you are a Flyers fan, you might not know that the Flyers have only had one stretch in their entire franchise history where they have missed the playoffs in consecutive seasons. I believe it was a five-year run from 1990 through 1994, Um which is, of course includes when they got Eric Lindros about halfway through that run or so. So it took them a year or two once they got Lindros to make the playoffs. But yep, 1990 through 1994, a five-year run where they missed the playoffs. They had only missed the playoffs two times before that. After coming into the league in 1968 the 1967-68 season, obviously a much higher percentage of teams made the playoffs back then. So it's a little, um, but uh, quite a bit tougher uh, than it was. Uh, it's quite a bit easier to miss the playoffs now than it used to be, or quite a bit tougher to make them if you want to freeze it like that. Uh, But, you know, after that five-year run uh, from 90 to 94 where the Flyers missed the playoffs all those years, they then went on to make the playoffs in 11 consecutive seasons and 15 of the next 16 seasons. They made it to the Stanley Cup final twice. They had uh, three other runs where they made it, four other runs actually, where they made it to the Eastern Conference final. So six conference final appearances, two Stanley Cup final trips, and they weren't able to get over the hump in any of those. And, of course, they've been on this string where they're the first team in professional sports history to alternate making and missing the playoffs for a decade straight. Um, And, of course, it looks like that run is probably going to come to an end uh, this season with them, of course, missing last year and not being very likely to make it uh, with where they stand right now. Um, But, you know, the last couple games they have played well. Their expected goals rate is over 50 percent it's at 50.7 percent which isn't amazing but it's pretty solid and they've had four they've had three of those six games they've had at least 58 percent of the expected goals which is outstanding and a lot of those games you know we listen to mike yo and his post-game press conferences he's been praising the effort and the energy the team has been showing and their battle level and their teamwork and blocking shots and throwing hits and doing everything that they can to win a game and they just can't find a way to win And, you know, Claude Giroux's uh, comment after their loss on Saturday in Buffalo was really telling, I thought. He said that the Flyers basically feel like they have to play a perfect game right now or else they're not going to win. And no hockey team is ever going to play a perfect game, of course. So when you have that mentality that you have to be absolutely perfect, that you can't afford even the smallest of mistakes, you're going to be gripping the stick a lot tighter. You're going to be forcing plays that aren't there necessarily, and you're going to make mistakes that lead to goals against and then we've seen the Flyers you know spiral in some of those instances like they have so often over the last